Welcome back everyone to the Shock Absorber podcast. We have been gone for a while, but it is 2024 and I'm joined, well my name's Joel and I'm joined by our two regular co-hosts, Tim. I was just looking at the two of you. Tim and she there squashed in on a lounge together. <laughs> you look like two school kids. <laughs> is it a time for a new year, new stew, new Tim? Someone I don't know, that's a good question. Have you got any new things you're doing? Uh, I'm always uh, looking at ways to do things that I do better. Um, <laughs> so, you know, um, I mean, just the typical, you know, want to be healthier, uh, want to do work more diligently and get more things done um, or without less stuffing around. But, yeah, I don't, okay. I don't have particular uh, resolutions or anything that I'm working on. Uh, Stu, anything new that you're, you're doing? Yes, uh, I'm doing surf bebri. Surf February is that how you Surfbury? Surfbury? Surfbury. Surf and February. Okay. Yeah, it's a uh, <laughs> it's it's a it the idea is that you surf every day for a month and then people sponsor you to surf every day for a month. So right. it's a campaign to try and raise money for skin cancer research hmm. and people who are suffering from skin cancer. Hmm. And have you Stuck to it. It's only the second of February when we're yeah, recording. It's here. my second day. So so far I have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I uh, am someone that likes to set goals for my year. Mm-hmm. And recently I found a tool. I haven't done them yet, but I'm working on it. And I've found a tool by one of my favourite YouTubers. Is a guy called Ali Abdul. Yeah. And he was originally a doctor. Uh, did well at Cambridge, but then decided he was going to be a YouTuber and has created a massive business. He's got like four and a half million subscribers from it now. Anyway, he does, it says, he suggested doing a thing called the wheel of life. Mm-hmm. And you set up, like you do a big circle and then you split into three and then split those into three. And then you separate those into, uh, he calls it like body, mind, soul, uh, career, all those kind of categories. And you give yourself a rating of where you feel you're at oh, or yeah. you're where what you're doing is aligned with that. And then yep. you can figure out your goals after that. So that's what I'm. That's the process I'm working through. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, so that's fun. Yep, that sounds similar to the well-being wheel, where you kind of look at all the different aspects of your life: your health, mm. your spirituality, yeah. your career. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah, I, cool. I actually find it a help. I've found it a helpful way to go. Oh no, this is what I actually want to keep working on this year, yeah, rather yeah. than oh, I'm just going to do better at this. Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's really good. It's good to plan, I reckon. Yeah. And think ahead. And Tim and I have also wrote, finished, we've read Atomic Habits where he mm. talks about don't just set goals, you need to create systems to yeah. ensure that you get to that goal. Because often if you set a goal and you achieve it, there's a, a lot of people have a big depression after that. Not a depression, they feel really down after that. Do they? So then it creates a cycle of having to create a massive goal again and then right. trying, uh, trying to get there again rather than creating a systemic way of making that happen and you've... The research shows it's much more likely to happen if it's like that. That's really interesting. Mm. Well, that's kind of relevant to what we're talking about today too. Mm. So my question is like, so tell me a bit more about, so, so it says don't just set a goal, but set, set up a system to reach that goal, but presumably that system keeps going after the goal's achieved. Is that what? Yeah, so instead of a goal of saying, I want to be able to run a half marathon, uh, your system is I'm going to get up every morning and run. Oh, uh, right. And I'm going to run every day for 10 minutes. That's really um, helpful. And so yeah. uh, it's, it's quite likely that if you stick to running uh, for 10 plus minutes, you'll start to get into habit, yeah. which then you can start to stretch. 
and you'll very likely get to a point where you can run a half marathon. Um, yeah. But you get to the half marathon, but that doesn't mean... So the day after the half marathon, if you if there was a goal, yeah, there was that, that crash of, oh, I reached that goal, now what? But if your habit was just, oh, I just run 10 minutes every day or I run every morning mm. or whatever it is, that uh, the day after the marathon, you just you get up and you just run because you're a runner and you're you, you runner. are yeah. someone yeah. who And, he, and James Clear, the author, ties it more to identity. So yes. making more an identity thing. I am a runner, like you yeah, said. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then that helps you create the system. Because I just found uh, his website here. It says effective goal setting requires consideration of the system that surrounds you. Too often we set the right goals inside the wrong system. So you're fighting the system each day to make progress. So it's really hard to make consistent progress. Yeah. And there's all kinds of hidden forces that make goals easier or harder to achieve. Align your environment with your ambitions and your identity to make progress in the long run. So how does that... Does or let me ask, how or does that help us when we think through goal setting in ministry? Mm. That's an interesting question. I think it absolutely does. I mean, it's in the same thing. I mean, it's not a Atomic Habits, for example, is written for individuals. Yes, obviously, church is, is different, but I think it. I think it would. What do you reckon, Tim? Yeah, I. I mean, I'm sure you could uh, move up all of the the things he says about individuals to a corporate level to a, to a collective level mm. an organizational level uh so if you wanted to be a church yeah this was your goal um yeah i'm just trying to think what that would actually look like but what the goals would be and how to set rhythms and habits into um into that but yeah i mean you want to be a more pray a more prayerful church well what are the habits that are going to be built into the life of the community um, so that you are a more prayerful church. Well, I'm uh, just, and I'm, yeah, I think you're right. And I think I'm just thinking in terms of, well, we have a Christian identity. So what does that mean? I think, and we've talked about commitment a lot last year and costly discipleship and things mm. like that. What does that look like? Is that perhaps the system that we're talking about like li- what is living a christian life is the system that we're talking about and how do we achieve that something we talk about in sorrow revival one of our main areas of goals is or in our practice is discipleship so what are the habits inside of that as a christian and a committed christian that we should be doing every day for example reading the bible if i am if we take that james clear framework is well my identity is a christian mm. what does that include it includes reading every day and praying every day mm. and then how do we what does that look like when we go to church because going to church is another habit i suppose that's a system i suppose and also community groups or bible studies or whatever you call them too so i think the system is there it's a what how do we create the environment within that system towards the goals that we're talking about which is something that we're going to talk about today is, is we're setting a vision for soul revival for 2024 well, yeah, it's really relevant, isn't it? Because mm. it's like if we want to be a church that does evangelism, if we want to focus all of our evangelism on one event, then that's like what you're describing. You, you get to that one event and then afterwards maybe there's a bit of, oh, okay, now we're done. But if we also do evangelism events but also encourage everyday evangelism and people mm. are evangelising every day, then people will come to church and hear about because people get excited to ask them so I'm just trying to think of that running an example and then mm. evangelism like yeah. if people are evangelising then we're going to 
Yeah, and I think it was. To do the I, event. I can't remember which book it was that I read this in. Um, you know, I remember, but the difference between lag goals and lead goals. Right. Mm. Um, not quite sure which, which one that That's was. That's a Cal Newport one, isn't it? Is that a Cal Newport? Maybe. Oh, look um, it up. You keep going. But the basically, the you're going to be more effective measuring the things you have direct control over rather than the things you don't. So, for a personal evangelism, uh, for example, it, if you set the goal as um, uh, 10 people this year are going to come to church because I asked them. Uh, the, them making the decision to come to church is actually a lag goal. So it's not, it, there's a large part of that is outside of your control. Um, but the lead goal is something you're completely in control of. So if, I, if my lead goal is uh, I'm going to have one conversation this week where I just very clearly and confidently express who I am as a Christian and that I go to church on the weekend. That's something I am in control of. Mm. Their response to that is not my goal because I can't, there are things of that that are outside of what I have power mm. over, but I can control the fact that I will have a confident conversation this week. It might be with the, you know, the teller at the petrol station. It might be with the checkout person. At the che- it might be with my neighbor. It might be with a friend, but one time this week and you can, yeah, cross it off when you do it, um, <laughs> that I'm going to have a conversation where I just confidently say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to church on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, it may or may not go further than that, but that will be a, something that you can, and that mm. will be start, start to build up that capacity in people to have personal evangelism mm. conversations. I think That's it's good. And I think it somehow fits into the conversation. I think Tim and you and I recorded a podcast where we were talking about what's the difference between a Christian that only comes on Sunday and a Christian that's all of life. And I think that's where perhaps, I suppose if we're thinking about setting the vision for goals and things like that as a church, one of the areas, as I said, is discipleship. So how do we help people continue to be to that point under Jesus? I think that's what I'm thinking about too, is that Mm. how do we, yeah, how do we people within their own context set up systems and frameworks that can help them to be able to do it. And I'm a systems guy, so I, like I see something, I'm going, oh, we could create a system and make that easier so we can, so things are easier for whatever you're doing. And maybe I am too far down that line sometimes <laughs> to get too locked into it. Well, the balance in, in the Christian life is that um, it's not, we're not trying to system hack our life so that, uh, you know, so that we can be more productive or, you know, something about us, but we want to live out of the relationship that we generally have mm. with Jesus. So there's a other person relational dynamic that I think is just, is going to reshape and, and refilter the way that we apply things like James Clear and others and the way that their, their systems approach mm. is that it's not just, I'm not just trying to optimise my life, but it's because I'm in relationship with Jesus, a saved relationship, and because of, uh, the, the, I mean, even that identity piece, it's an identity that he has given to me, not one that I have dreamt up for myself. So I think that's significant yeah, that's as well, um, that I am told by God that I'm a child of God, mm. that I'm adopted into his kingdom. Um, and then therefore, I think where it does apply is that therefore that will mean these things will be true of me. Uh, I will meet regularly with God's people. I will be talking to God in prayer. I will be, you know, thirsty for his word and, and wanting to learn and, and be in communion with him mm. through reading the scriptures. So, yeah, it, habits will flow out of that. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I'm even thinking, uh, you preached 
on last Saturday and, and mm-hmm. talking about how, like prayer is a sign of faithfulness and that's something that I've trying to be work on because I don't think my prayer life is great at the moment and that's something I've been trying to work on lately and the one of the ways that I'm doing it is going for a short I'm my work backs onto a, a foot, like a long footpath and going on that and just praying on that but that's a kind of that's an example I suppose of creating a system and environment where that's more conducive to being more faithful yep and then yeah, how does that play out? That obviously, that personal relationship helps play out in our relationships that we have with each other at church as well. Mm. Yeah. And while, of course, you can pray anywhere and everywhere, the the change of location mm. does do things triggering in our brain that will help us to connect more in diff- like different spaces. So leaving the work desk behind, walking out in the footpath, mm. you know, will be helpful um, bodily learning you know, patterns that mm. we can help us build into that uh, and we can find that it might be easier to focus on that talking with God in that space rather than the distraction of the work desk where there's all these other things around us and papers piling up and emails coming through. And um, Again, Atomic Habits talks about that, saying, like, create the environment that you want the system to be in. So if you want to go to the gym on these days, put your clothes out in the night before, as an example, or only have work at this desk or don't as soon as you move it somewhere to another environment you would seemingly seemingly we've been created to go oh this is something different needs to happen yeah now. yeah mm. which is what um when we talked about our church design you know the mm. fact that half of the space is made up as a cafe um helps to promote that space so that this is a space for stopping and slowing down and eating a meal mm. together uh lots of couches everywhere because we want to yeah. say actually stop and slow down in this space uh, like you would in someone's lounge room. So, yeah, you can you can help create the habits that you want by the environment that you build. Um, and mm. I think church design is a, a really fascinating place where you can play around with some of those ideas. Yeah, that's cool. Anyway, we were <laughs> what a great way to start the podcast. That was really, <laughs> really interesting. Uh, we were going to talk about this coming weekend. We're going to mm. just set a bit of vision, not a bit. We're going to set vision for 2024 and our goals in Soul Revival Church. Can I just ask, just before we do that, uh, you had a TV show you wanted to share? Or, or yeah. Was it a podcast or what have you got for us? Yeah, well... Uh, just keeping in line with the Shock Absorber, we always like to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, in 2014, a book came out by Anthony Doer. And I don't know if I pronounced his name right. But uh, the book's called All the Light We Cannot See. Oh, yes. And it's just been adapted to a Netflix uh, series mm. and I've just watched the series so I'm going to see if I can dig this book up and have a read because it was quite uh, an interesting book. It's basically set in wartime France and the story kind of revolves around a family that gets wrapped up in the French resistance and it also narrows down to one particular member of the family, the daughter, who is a young adult who was blind. And so she's sort of trying to manage through this pretty difficult circumstance. And she's in some, uh, in our French provincial town. Uh, I can't remember the name of the town off the top of my head, but it might come to me as I keep explaining the book. But anyway, uh, she and her dad flee Paris and end up in this town and get involved in the resistance. And then her story is contrasted with this young man who is actually a German young guy who unwillingly got wrapped up 
with the SS because he's a radio operator and he's incredibly good at it. He's a genius. Mm -hmm. And so he was learning how to operate these radios. So the SS grabbed him and they were using him to hunt down the partisans who were using radios. So he's able to find out where they were and they go around and arrest them. And the stories are really interesting. It sort of revolves around all these ethical themes of, uh, you know, war and stuff like that. But it also, it's really interesting that both the German young man who's now working for the SS and who's moved to this town and actually ends up trying to find this girl, uh, which I'll explain in a sec. Anyway, this guy, uh, Werner, and this young girl, she and he both listened to a pre-war broadcast of a professor who was broadcasting on radio and they both loved the broadcasts of this professor and I don't want to wreck the story so I won't tell you too much more about that but it's really interesting seeing how those broadcasts which were all about science and nature and positive things drew them very much together so that uh, in the story she's gets to a point where she's broadcasting in this town as well and he's trying to find her so that the SS can kill this girl and for other stuff that happens, which I won't spoil the story. But interestingly, they both end up having this kind of, actually, the stories we listened to before the war from this professor on the radio have more formed us to be who we are than our countries or our political ideologies or anything else. So they are actually kind of influenced by that story. And the, the book is called All the Light We Cannot See. And so there's a, I'm still trying to work, work it out, actually, and that's why I want to read the book about this but there's a phrase in the show that I absolutely loved which is the most important light is the light you can't see now I know this is just an author saying that but it got me thinking hey that's kind of like there's a lot of people living in our world today who don't see the light of Jesus and it's the most important light and we have the light of the gospel and how are we sharing it with people who don't see it yet and then I started thinking went down a rabbit hole in my thoughts because then I started thinking well, actually, you can see the light of Jesus through the, the love lived out by Christians because Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples as you love one another. And so I'm also thinking that the light has come because John says uh, Jesus is the light that has come into the world in chapter 1 of John. So I'll be really interested to see what you two think about that. But the reason I think it connects with the vision day is we have this precious gift of the light of the gospel and we see it, but heaps of people don't see it but it is the most precious thing in their life that they don't see it. Like it, If they don't see it, it's catastrophic for them. So it's precious, but they don't see it. So, yeah, it got me thinking about that. But I won't say how the show ended, but it was a, a really interesting show, uh, just looking at all those ethical issues being played out around um, this idea of hope, because at the end of the day, what do we find our hope in? And then this idea of this light that we do not see. So I found that really interesting. Yeah, wow. Okay. I feel like I need to watch it. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's well written as well. It's I really know, well acted. Yeah, I know my wife, Karen, she's read the book. She oh, said she really liked it. Yeah, yeah right. But we haven't watched the show. But yeah. So looking forward then, in terms of the vision day, because yeah. one of the things, I mean, you said that people don't know the light of Jesus. One of the things that we wanted to shine a light on how we're trying to enact our double-up strategy, for yep. example, is on 
how we've kind of tweaked a few things with uh, with mission. Mm-hmm. So how does how do you th- see those two working together, Stu? As, um, I only asked ask the question for the senior pastor who is <laughs> setting the vision. To begin with. <laughs> well, just a bit of background. Uh, what we do as a church is we'll, we'll have a, a big planning day for a 10-year planning day, and then we'll sort of like bounce off that each year if it's still appropriate. If we end up going in a different direction, that's cool. But uh, just at the turn of the decade, we had a planning day and we look back at our journey so far as a church after 10 years and uh, look back over our 30 years of ministry as a youth ministry for 20 years before that. And we sort of thought that what we came up with as a vision statement early in the life of the church was Jesus changes everything. And the reason we thought that was great is because we wanted it to be really clear that people know that we're on about partnering with Jesus as he is changing the world. And uh, just this morning in our meeting, Joey was talking about how he's going to be preaching it right on Romans 5. And so just the whole idea of the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus, that he actually laid his life down and died on a cross so he could be taking the punishment that we deserve for our sin on himself so that we can be forgiven and we can be set free. That changes everything. And so it's changed individuals and it's changed whole societies and it's changed whole countries. So it's an ongoing change that Jesus is continuing to change things. And it's, uh, I hope, our vision statement of Jesus changes everything is a humble reflection on the fact that we don't set vision, Jesus does. And Jesus himself is obedient to the Father. And so even in the garden when he was about to go to the cross, he said, not my will but your will. And so even though he was struggling with the idea of dying such a horrible death, he still was obedient even unto death. And so for us as Christians to be obedient to Christ is to hear him say, pick up your cross and carry it daily, is to love one another as I have loved you. There's this idea that when we think of our neighbours, we should think of everyone as our neighbours, not just the people we want to love. So I think that sometimes a vision day or a vision decade can sometimes feel like a chance for us to go oh what do we want to focus on for the next year or what do we think is important or what's a new book that has shown us what other people are doing we might do that for a year but our statement is probably not perfect but it's about well, what does Jesus want to do this year and how are we partnering with him and so I really like that. And so what the reason we came up with the phrase double up was we looked back over the last 10 years and we thought, well, God has been incredibly kind and generous to us as a church. And we have seen many people come to be a part of our little community. Uh, we've seen over the last 10 years that we've, we've grown in discipleship and our mission and our resources have been trying to catch up with that. Uh, so we've we've grown from 30 people to about 500 people in 10 years. And so we're looking at that and thinking, well, if God does continue being generous and kind to us and does continue to add to the number of people that we are discipling and on mission to, how do we prepare for that? So rather than setting a vision of saying, oh, we're going to do X this year or you know, we're gonna do this in the next 10 years, we're thinking, well, we're encouraged by Jesus himself to partner with him as he changes everything. Um, one of the most beautiful illustrations that sticks in my mind is when early in Jesus's ministry, he sends out the 72 to go out and preach the gospel and prepare the way for him. And I think that's just phenomenal that Jesus can do everything himself, but even while he's on earth, he still partners with people in the, in the gospel yeah. proclamation. So, 
it's delightful to think that we're partnering with Jesus. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul says that it's Jesus that has reconciled us to God and reconciled us to each other. And the emphasis there is that all we need to do is to express that reality, not create reconciliation or to save ourselves by good works. So how do we express our partnership with Christ as he has achieved reconciliation for us? How do we express that and how do we partner with him? Uh, similar to that, when, it, when we look at our own sanctification, we're reminded from 1 Peter that in chapter 1, Peter says that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us to be more like Christ. So again, we might talk about all these um, things which are very valid and really good things to do, talking about self-improvement and surf brie or whatever, February, surf February or running a <laughs> marathon or uh, all those things we want to achieve. But thinking spiritually, the Holy Spirit is more interested in my godliness and my growth in godliness than I'm even interested mm. in. So he's more interested in my sanctification than I am. He's more interested in my pursuit of holiness than I am. And the idea is that he is sanctifying me in 1 Peter. And I think my role is to partner with him as he is sanctifying. So I'll try my best too. So I'll put my clothes out, um, get ready to go for my run the next day. Or um, that, that's a physical thing, but you know, even looking after my body is something I probably should spend more time doing. So that's a good thing. But thinking spiritually, like going out into the, the lane behind work to pray is saying, yeah, I'm actually going to take seriously my need to partner with the Holy Spirit as he is sanctified. Mm. I'm not just going to sit back and wait and see what he does. I'm going to work with him on that. So with hopefully that's kind of got a, got a sense of how we see vision is that Jesus changes everything. And I think I hope that's a, that's a gospel vision that Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, I have come to bring the kingdom of heaven, repent and believe the good news. So if that's what he's doing, that's what we're doing. So let's get involved in that kingdom building and that gospel proclamation, that repentance and encouraging people to obey and repent and to believe in Jesus and to, to work with him too and to become disciples. So if that's, that's the vision, the double up is, well, if God does continue to bless that, then we're going to see our discipleship double up in the next 10 years and our mission double up in the 10 years. And we'll probably need to double up our resources in the next 10 years. So that's what we've been doing year on, year out. We've been trying to think about, okay, how do we double up? And to make that more bite-sized and easier for people, we've looked at our church life as, uh, you know, we've got seven gatherings now and we've also got 10 service teams. So what would it look like to double up the discipleship and mission for our gatherings and service teams and double up the resources for the uh, service teams? I think one uh, way I think I heard you describe it today was how can we be prepared for God to be at work in us? I think that was that was really cool. And I think that's a really good mm. way to do that. Tim, why don't I ask you this question because I know you need to head off soon. Mm. What's the what's the benefit of doing that and what would be the danger in not seeking that first, do you think? Doubling up? No, so to seeking to know that we be, we need... Let's be prepared rather than oh, I see. we're going to do this and see if God blesses us. Yeah, well, um, there's, there's a little a parable, not a parable, a proverb, a proverb, 
um, that I, I first learnt in Kung Fu. It's probably got Asian origins, I imagine. Um, that it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a farmer in a war. Um, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, okay. in other words, uh, prepare... I know what he's saying, but I don't know what it means. Well, it's just like prepare for the eventuality. Yes. Um, and it's better to have prepared and then find you as a warrior. Oh, okay. And then to have found, oh, actually all I need to do is look after my roses. Um, and I just, I think that there's something wise about using the resources that we have to prepare for God to continue to bless our community. Um, yeah, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful uh, if another, in five, well, sorry, in eight, 10 years time, yeah, there was another 500 people at our church, you know, that God had blessed the ministry, that that many people had come to know Jesus, Lord and Saviour, brought from darkness to light. Um, and, you know, if we look at what is um, what God has been doing and we go, well, yeah, it's, it's very possible that that could be the case. Uh, it would be far better for us to, under God, be uh, diligent in our discipleship, diligent in our efforts, in our faithfulness, to uh, prepare well for that eventuality, if that isn't what happens, well, that's okay. We yeah. would still be really strong uh, in our leadership. We would have really deep disciples of the 500 who are now at church. They would be, and mm. this is one of the things is, uh, you know, again, the whole lead goal, lag goal thing, you know, <laughs> we can't control whether God sends another 500 people to us if another 500 people become Christians in the Sutherland Shire and in Ride and the other places that we might be able to plant gatherings. Um, what we can do is help our people take um, stock of their own discipleship and grow in their maturity. Uh, and just in the regular rhythm of the way God works in the world, when people are working diligently with their faithfulness and they are growing in their relationship with Jesus, they're sticking close to the vine, like Jesus talks about in John is it 15, 14, 15, 16, um, talks about the vine imagery. You know, uh, what's the, uh, if that is going, if we would do all of that really, really well, what would we end up with in eight years' time uh, if we didn't grow? Well, we'd still end up with really mature disciples of Jesus uh, who would be doing good in themselves, in their families, in their communities and in our church community for the sake of the kingdom. And that would be beautiful um, because you know, success, in inverted commas, is not just numbers. It's you know, how much are we being conformed to the spirit of Christ uh, and the work that he is doing in us. So I think all of these things, we are, we're seeking to disciple people and for them to grow in their likeness of the spirit um, and uh, of Christ. And as they do that, we anticipate that God will continue to bless that faithfulness and, and grow us as a church. Um, but if not, we'll have really, really healthy Christians. We'll have really good structures that is enabling great ministry to happen. Um, and I think the flip side of that is uh, it could be that there's still a vibrancy and an energy to the church that is attracting people, people who aren't yet Christians who come along and want to become Christians. We've seen plenty of that over the last 12 years. Um, those who um, have moved into the area looking for a new church, yeah, a lot of them come through church. I had a conversation with one lady on Sunday. Not sure if she's going to stick around, but mm. yeah, she's just moved into the area from the inner west okay. um, and she's thinking about churches. Um, and so we had a long chat about whether this would be a good fit for her. But again, as a church amongst churches, yeah, there's lots of great places you can check out. That's mm. okay. Um, and so if we haven't prepared, but we do continue to grow, 
will continue to feel structurally um, and uh, I suppose in the, all of that, the administration of ministry that we're feeling tired, we're feeling burnt out, uh, we're feeling weary and that's not a great place to be ministering out of. Mm. So, yeah, I think practically speaking, that's kind of where why it's mm. worth really digging into mm. that. I think it's yeah. probably important to uh, to be like the, that idea of being prepared, the importance of communicating uh, that message of that we're, we're actually partnering with God as he's doing what he's going to do. Because um, you, you talked about us being conformed to Jesus and rather than having our ideas and then trying to conform God to those ideas. Mm. And in that, I'm wondering is if people hear something like Double Up, and we've talked about this before, but something here Double Up, sometimes they might be a little bit fearful of, oh, you're expecting me to do more, or I'm going to have to do more to be able to make this happen. How do we kind of, if people have those thoughts, and like they're probably reasonably valid thoughts, they may have been at other churches where something might have happened, or something like that might have happened, or they just don't feel like they have the capacity to, to do what they're interpreting that message is. What would your, how would you think you would address that with uh, people that are thinking that way? I'll go to you first, Tim, and then shoot. Mm. Um, yeah, I think you're constantly, you want to walk beside every individual as much as possible uh, and help them to walk in light of the gospel, given the capacities that they particularly have. And uh, different people, because of, personality, because of health, because of relationships, because of other um, commitments, have different levels of capacity and that's, that's okay. That's, that's how God has created us all different. Um, we're part of a body. The body metaphor is really strong, um, in particularly Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. And so we're all going to have different parts to play in that. And I think part of good church discipleship is helping people um, Help, help them to discover where they can best serve. Part of that is going to be uh, a challenge and a stretch. It's always good to be doing that. It's also really good to be gracious and helping them work out, well, uh, if, if, they, if they're an elbow, not forcing them into being a, a nose or you know, whatever, <laughs> however you want to take the analogy. Yeah. Like, it, it's okay that everyone has different ways of serving the kingdom uh, and of expressing their Christ-likeness in the body. And so I think that it's very hard to do from the front to a group um, when people are feeling that way. Like you, you, we can set, this is the thing, the challenge with the vision days is you can, you can set vision, you can uh, cast the net and say, hey guys, this is where we're going. We'd love you to be on board with this. And then there's, that's, that's one moment of the you know, announcement and the 30 minute sermon or whatever it is. But then after that, it's then up to the pastors, the leaders, the lay leaders, the, everyone else to be having the conversations one-on-one because that's where the real change is going to happen and helping people um, have the conversation. And I had a good example of this last week as well. We had, we've talked up the front a number of times about the need for kids chill um, and need for more leaders to be involved and set it from the front um, over and over and over again. And I was sat down for breakfast on Sunday and had one lady said, oh, I've got these resources. I'd love to be able to uh, give them to children's ministry because I use them in kids' ministry in a different church and they're just kind of lying around. I said, yeah, that's great. Always happy to take resources. But actually, 
realized the biggest resource I have is people. Mm. She goes, oh, tell me more about that. Um, and she would have heard me and others say it a number of times. But just being able to sit down, the way, it was the one-on-one conversation where I could slowly talk her through, here's what it is, here's what it's not, answer her questions, listen to her concerns. Um, that by the end of it, she's like, yeah, well, send me all the safe ministry information, send me the working with children's check information, uh, want to help jump in. And so I think that is kind of how to, to balance those things. And the concerns that people have is be able to listen to them, talk it through, help them out. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's one just real quick story where that's, that's happened. Yeah. I'm going to leave to Stu and I'm going to duck out. No worries. We'll see, see, you, see you later, Tim. What do you think, Stu? Is, is that a valid concern that some people might have, but it's also something that we need to kind of talk through? Yeah, yeah. I, I think... I think um, I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but I think over the years in the West, uh, many churches have become what we've called event-based churches, where the church is like an event and a whole heap of people are on rosters to keep that event going. And so, you know, that that can be a framework that's in people's heads. So, oh, okay, so if you're talking about doing more events or bigger events, that means I either have to work harder or someone else is going to have to it. help. Yeah. yeah. Um, our, our focus on preaching the gospel as a community, not as a, an event, I think has been kind of helpful in that, that people have seen that as we do more things, we have more people do more things. And so the way we've tried to capture that is to say, you know, why, why are we doubling up? It's because Jesus changes everything. Mm-hmm. And as Tim said, if he doesn't grow the church numerically we'll still grow spiritually so that's why we've thought well how are we going to partner with jesus so if we're going to run events then that's one way of partnering with jesus or another way of looking at it might be we we don't go to church we are the church and the building isn't the church and we are gathering together as the church and so with that framework we think to ourselves well how do we who do we gather with well, we gather with anyone who wants to come. So instead of having a targeted group that we minister to, which might be um, people who like traditional services or people who like contemporary family services or people who like youth services, maybe what we could do is just say, let's have an all-age, all-stage service that anyone can come to. And then as that grows, that's a body, and the body of Christ is growing uh, together. And the idea is that, if we're going to double up, well, maybe what we need to do, if if the why is Jesus changes everything and how we do it is going to be in community that preaches the gospel, then what does that look like? Well, we've talked about the fact that what we are doing week to week is discipling Christians to be on mission together. So as we disciple Christians to be on mission together, we've thought our double up strategy is literally let's double up our discipleship to double up our mission and then try and double up the resources to help that to happen so hopefully that takes away the fear of oh you're just wanting me to double up how much i do or this church is just interested in Mm -hmm. getting more people to come what what we do is we we look at our discipleship and our mission and we say okay what are we doing in discipleship now there's probably plenty of ways of breaking this down but we've we've tried to think in threes because people remember threes so not only are we on about discipleship and mission and getting the resources to do that that's three things that are easy to remember 
when we look at discipleship, we think, what are the three things we're doing as a church to disciple each other? Well, like I said, there's probably different ways of you know, presenting this, but what we've come up with is going from the personal to the leadership to the whole group. So we've thought, what are we doing to disciple Christians to be mature in Christ using the Bible? So the first thing we're going to double up is the amount of Christian maturity we have as a congregation. We're going to seek, in other words, we're going to seek to grow in it. Whether we double or not, I don't know, but we're seeking to grow as Christians. So that is going to be reflected in our preaching and our Bible studies and our Bible study material and, um, you know, encouraging Christians to take seriously their own uh, individual piety of prayer and Bible reading and, and, and there's so much more we could unpack there. But if we start with us as individuals, how are we growing as Christians? I think that's a good mm. place to start. Then secondly, uh, do we have leaders that are being discipled to be healthy leadership communities? So in other words, instead of just putting someone on a roster, is there a community of leadership that people are in when they do do things? So rather than me just doing prayers once a month, I'm actually part of a team of people who puts the church on every week and my role might be prayers, but I'm also praying for and working with people who are doing Bible reading and the preachers and the arts team or the music team, whatever you'd like to call that, and the people who are doing proclaim. So can we build a team in the gathering that is consciously building one another up? Rather than doing a job, I'm just praying. I'm actually part of a group of people that's a healthy community. And then the next discipleship question we have, so personal maturity and then leadership community health, the last one is, are our gatherings healthy communities? Are the gathering of God's people seeking to be a Jesus-shaped community where we, we seek to live our lives out, to build one another up, to love one another, to carry one another's burdens, to rebuke each other if we need it? So how healthy are our communities? So our double-up strategy starting with discipleship is nothing about numerical growth. It's all about spiritual growth, uh, helping our Christians to grow. And... Our thought has been that if we are growing as God's people, then we will be discipling one another to be on mission together. What are the three things we do in mission? And that follows the same framework. So personally, are we growing as personal evangelists? And even if we're really shy and we haven't got to a point where we can share our faith with someone, can we pray for someone else who's not a Christian? Because evangelism starts with prayer. And the second goal is... Are we partnering together in our evangelism? Now, often in churches I've been in, you know, all the different ministries work as silos and they don't really partner together. But can we get our seniors ministry partnering with our kids ministry? What would it look like if that happens? Are there practical spaces we could create in the service for people who wouldn't normally talk to each other to actually get to know each other, for example? But then everyone who is on about evangelism, what if... What if we work together? So in our church, we've got some gatherings that are smaller and some gatherings that are larger. So part of our double-up strategy is saying to people who have capacity on our Saturday night gathering, which has about 160 people, if any of you have capacity, you know, we have a, an outdoor service at Yarrawarra on Sunday morning that can get up to 20 non-Christians a week going to it. Do you have capacity to go to that sometimes? So that gets people thinking about that as a partnership in evangelism which is exciting mm. so that's the second thing the third thing in evangelism is are we actually seeing people become christians and are we actually growing by including other people into our gathering so with those uh discipleship goals and mission goals 
the last piece is, uh, and I won't go into detail today, but the last piece is, what are the, what are the, what are the number of leaders we need? What are the logistics we need for all that to happen, including finances and all sorts of things? And also, what is the ministry capacity our church has so that we're realistic about it? So we wouldn't expect our Sunday morning gathering at Yarrawarra that meets in a car park to have as much ministry capacity necessarily as Saturday night that has 160 people. So having all that together, we've, we try and communicate that to the whole church, but we definitely think that through as a leadership team. So at least if the pastors are thinking like that together, then we can be thinking uh, kind of under God, what are we doing to partner with him practically? And it's quite helpful to do that because if there's a, if the, if the wheels fall off somewhere in the ministry and things are, are going difficult, we can actually ask ourselves, oh, I wonder which area of ministry we might need to strengthen to help that. Mm. And it could be partnership evangelism. Maybe we need some extra bodies in there to help with that at the moment. But overall, I think the way, the way I, I see Christian leadership as a leader is let's get together as God's people and let's gather around the Word of God. Let's gather around Jesus. Let's pray together. Let's hear the Word of God. Let's hear a sermon. Let's sing. Um, and let's really enjoy being God's people together. And as we enjoy that, if anybody else comes, it's a bonus. And we really want that to happen. So what can we do to make sure our doors are open so people know that we want mm. to include them? Uh, for example, the car park at Yarrawarra is not a common approach for churches to use. But when you think about it, it's probably a little bit more uncomfortable for Christians to go to a car park to go to church than it is for non-Christians who can just rock up and get a coffee and talk to us. So we're kind of putting ourselves out for the sake of the other. And um, it's easier for a, a non-Christian person to go to a car park to go to church. It's, hard, it's harder for a non-Christian person to go into a church building when they don't know what's in there. It's easier for the Christian to come in because it's a more comfortable environment. But yeah, we think about that a bit. Like, how can we help there be uh, some more access points for people to hear the, the gospel? Yeah, and I think that's, it, it almost thinks that, you know, the way they were communicating, it's not so much double up your effort and double up numbers. It's, we want to double up discipleship mission and the resources required to support mm. that. So with a hope that partnering with God, he might double our numbers mm. and, and, where it's always interesting how much the you talked about sanctification earlier how much if we are trying to partner with Jesus we're trying to build work on our personal relationship with God how much effort and change comes out of that anyway so it's mm. part of that sanctification process so I suppose that's where we're probably coming from is that we might actually if we are increasing our personal advantages and we're increasing our uh, we're growing in our relationship with God, then we might see that we might actually want to increase our effort in what we're doing, or what we what, change what we're doing, mm. or change things in our life to make that happen. Mm. I think that's where that's the intention of it is with the vision day and and, and our double up goals is to do it like that rather than we're just going to get double the numbers and that's it. And yeah, they require yeah. that requires a lot of effort. And yeah, we sacrifice. we don't. Yeah, that's a good point actually. We don't tend to try and talk people into doing stuff. We mm. sort of say, hey, we're doing this if you want to do it great come along with us yeah. yeah for example we might have a church week away where we book a campsite and then get a speaker and then prepare all that so that we can go away but instead of saying hey everyone we've got the campsite 
you really all should get along. You really get a lot out of it. You know, we really want to encourage you to come. The way we pitch it is more, well, some of us are going. If you want to come, that's great. But if you don't want to go, that's okay too. And we get 250 people going away with us each year. And I think there's something about not trying to advertise it or promote it to like get it event, going. Like you've said, like you've said, it's not like an event. Yeah, yeah, it's not like an event. So, you know, I just shared that book earlier because I, I watched the show and I'm like, wow, I might get that book. I'm pretty busy and I'm reading a lot of books, but <laughs> I might get that book because that was a really interesting concept. Uh, I just shared that and then straight away your reactions were, oh, I should watch it. Hmm. And it's simple really to think that if Christians are excited about going to church, they're going to share that with other people. Now, we can give people formal tools for evangelism and we can train people and all that's really good. But at the end of the day, if someone's going to something that they love and they tell someone who doesn't go, oh, you should come along, this is great. You know, I think there's something in that that maybe we can lean into more as a church in the West, that it's not a thing we should be doing. It's something that we, we just love. It's so good. Yeah, I keep thinking about that all of life. It's, mm. a, it's not just Sundays or Saturdays or yep. whenever you go to church. It's I'm a Christian that goes to church on this day. Yeah. Not I'm a person in the world and then I go to church on a on the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's yeah, true. Yeah. La- just to wrap up the episode. Yep. The last question for you. Uh, so we kind of talked about what we will set as a vision. We're gonna. This is gonna happen tomorrow, and the podcast will come out a few days after that. Um, you're also gonna preach on the same same day. Yeah. How, and I think you said you're going to do Acts 1 verse yes. 8. How yes. are you going to tie that? What are you thinking? And this is yeah. a partial question about being a pastor. How are you going to tie that in to what we're talking about? Yeah, well, on the vision day, we've talked as a staff that we're not going to be able to look at all the different 10 service teams and talk about what we're doubling up on one meeting. So we thought, why don't we focus on one? And we thought we'd focus on our mission team. So we're going to talk about some of the things we're doing mm. in world mission. And one of the things we've decided to do last year is separate our world mission into three sub-teams, which are local, regional and overseas. And as we do that, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of partnership between Soul Revival gatherings. We're partnering at the moment with, with uh, Miranda Congregational Church. We're sitting in Miranda Congregational Church doing this at the moment, which is really exciting. So we're really excited about how we're doubling up in the local area, doing more mission than we've done before. Uh, particularly as our two churches are partnering in this six-month period. It's very exciting. In the regional area, we're talking about how can we double up in our relationships with our Indigenous pastors in northwestern New South Wales. And we've been talking about getting other partners together from Sydney to actually partner with our Aboriginal friends as well. And so we're trying trying to build more resources for partnership out west in Mission. And then the last piece is um, we've got a lovely couple at our church, Trudy and Anthony, who are travelling over with CMS to Ethiopia, mm. and we're one of their supporting churches. So that's another new element to our mission that we're adding to the life of our church as we send them uh, to Ethiopia uh, this year. And so we're going to highlight that a little bit. And as I've been sharing that around with a few different people, a few people have said to me, oh, that's really interesting because doesn't that reflect Acts eight where... Acts one eight says that the gospel went from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. Uh, and so there's this idea of the gospel starting in Jerusalem, then it went to Judea and then Samaria, and then Paul took it to the Gentiles to Rome, which was kind of the ends of the earth at the time. But So there's this kind of 
uh, yes, the gospel has gone out across to the centre of the Roman Empire, which is the centre of the known world for them at the time, which mm. went out from the whole of Rome. Uh, and the second part of that is it's really exciting that that obviously has meant that here we are sitting in Australia talking about this at the ends of the earth. Like it's only <laughs> from New Zealand any further away. Yeah, kind from of. modern day Italy. Oh, <laughs> exactly. So, so what, what some people have said to me when they hear our mission team structure of local, regional and overseas, they've said, oh, that's great because that reflects that pattern of from Jerusalem local to Judea, Samaria, mm. the region, and to the ends of the earth, uh, you know, to Australia. And so someone said to me, oh, now we're sending someone overseas. We're actually doing the full of Acts 1.8. And it got me thinking and I thought, actually, I see it a bit differently, I think. Number one, I don't think it matters too much to me if people use that framework from Acts 1.8, but Acts 1.8 and, in fact, the whole of Acts is not prescriptive, it's descriptive. So it's not prescribing ministry practice for all time. It's describing how the gospel went out. Mm -hmm. And there will be elements of Acts that are very helpful for us to be using today. But the other thing that occurred to me was, actually, we are at the ends of the earth. We're not in Jerusalem. And it got me thinking that, actually, we're a bit more like Rome and Corinth and the, the churches in Asia Minor we're more in that sort of category than we are in the Jerusalem category. Okay. And it got me thinking it's still like important that everyone sends the gospel to everywhere. And that's why in our uh, ideas with Soul Revival that we talk about sharing the gospel to everyone everywhere so that we are thinking of the whole world, not just our little patch of it. But in some ways it also got me thinking, man, we should be doing more maybe to be thinking with that framework in mind be thinking of the macedonians who were called on by paul to continue to remember the christians in jerusalem because i th i think to myself well other than the gafcon meetings which are a global anglican gathering where leaders have gone to J jerusalem i don't know that i've been thinking much about how we support the christians in jerusalem and judea and samaria and also uh, the jewish people too because while it made sense for Paul to go to the Jews first and then the Gentiles in his ministry. Even though he was the missionary to the Gentiles, he was a Jewish man, so obviously he loved his people. But I also think, what can we be doing to share the good news with, um, with Jewish people as well? And I think for me it's even more pronounced with all these controversies going on with the wars that are taking place in Israel at the moment. And I've thought to myself... How can we as Christians be sharing the gospel to everyone everywhere? So when I preach from Acts 1.8, I'm going to be talking about what is it like to be Christians at the edge of the world and then thinking about the world from that perspective. And there is a sense where we think local and regional and overseas. We still need to think expansively like that. But... Yeah, I think it's just a slightly different nuance to what I've heard it spoken about in Acts one eight before. Cool. Well, we we'll look forward to that. That'll be, I'll look forward to listening to that tomorrow night. <laughs> um, but it's been wonderful to get started on the shock was over again it this is, year. Yeah. Welcome to twenty twenty four. It's very exciting. Thank you to Tim who um, had to leave early. Thank yeah. you, of course, thank to you. yourself. Well, thank and, you. Um, if anyone wants to join the conversation, email me joel at shockwasorber dot and we can get discussing any questions that you have. 
but there's a lot to look forward to. We've got all your PhD research to have a look at. So there's going to be plenty of content coming Lots forward. more to come. A lot, you, probably, you could probably take up the entirety of 2024, <laughs> I'd say, <laughs> Just even though you've written the first few chapters. So that'll be good, though. That'll be yeah, fun. Yeah. And we'll keep discussing it. But uh, as always, we like to finish with a one-way. So thank you for listening. and One way. One way.